Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast brought to you by Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Lead411 and Gong.io. Uh, we appreciate all of our sponsors. And of course, if you're trying to grow your revenue, by all means, you should be looking at tools like this, as well as this tool that um, we're going to introduce. I, and I know he hates it when I do this, but I'm doing it anyway, which is why uh, we have Dr. Jeremy Donovan here, who is the SVP of sales, what strategy. Sales strategy at sales loft, right? Another awesome tool that we like and love. So shout out to sales loft and Kyle and the crew over there, Jeremy, thanks for coming on Dr. Donovan. Uh, that'll be the last time I say it unless Scott says it. So. I appreciate that. Although I'm not an official PhD, so I do not deserve the designation. And that's another, that's a, that maybe that's something we'll get into as well. Well, actually let's, you know, like, what do you think about the people who have doctorates in sales? Let's talk about it. I, I, I mean, I think it's cool. We have a, we have a Dr. Fowler. So Dr. Sean Fowler at, at sales loft. And I, I believe his, I'm not exactly sure what his degree is in probably something like organizational psychology. I think that's legit. Um, I, I actually dropped out of a PhD program now, what, 25, 30 years ago. So no, it's actually a regret that I dropped out. It was the late nineties in Silicon Valley. So it, it was a much better to be working at, and, and you know, it depends on your, what you want to do in life, but it was much better for me to be working than earning a PhD at that point. I was going to say it's, it's cash in versus cash out, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably, yeah, it's probably a, a good way to look at it. I mean, I was, I was super junior, obviously. So I, I was not, there wasn't so much cash coming in, but I still was pretty hungry to, to work and create. I didn't have the patience. Was the, was the PhD going to be in electrical engineering? It was. Yeah. So my background is semiconductor physics. So that's what I was, that's what I was doing. Yeah. So, so I want to start here. So how does somebody with semiconductor physics and academia, like make their way into sales? This is a non typical background for somebody to be in sales to say the least. Yeah. There's a few, there's like a few of us out there and there what a sidebar thing, which is I've also noticed former attorneys who are now chief revenue officers. So I've seen that pattern too. For me, the, the journey was very, very nonlinear. I would have never expected to become a salesperson other than selling mangoes on the side of the road in Florida when I was a kid or baseball cards at baseball card shows. I don't even know if those exist anymore with eBay around, but I used to sell, used to sell things all the time. Um, but I never thought I'd be a salesperson. I was quite introverted and probably still am to some extent, though I can become a social ambivert, I suppose. But for me, it was, uh, I moved from engineering into um, being an industry analyst. And that was kind of a good mix for me because I love technology, but I also love business. And then over the years, I went into more and more strategy roles. And what happened and how I found myself into sales is because different parts of organizations have over time become much more analytical. So I got um, put in as a CMO, even though I had almost no marketing background in a, you know, two-ish billion dollar revenue company. And the reason was because this was the era when, you know, when CMOs were, were switching over from people who were, you know, came from the creative side and uh, creative in that world means like brand and design and so on into demand gen related people. So, you know, I could calculate the ROI of anything. 
Um, and so that's why they put me in that role. And then the same thing for, then after, you know, after that transformation happened for marketing, it's now happening for sales, which drew me, right? I think these problems that can be solved, you know, with humans and with machines are absolutely fascinating in sales. So that's how I ended up over here. Now you've been in both the VP of marketing seat and the VP of sales seat. I'm going to force you, I'm going to force you to not sit on the fence. And I want to know which role was harder for you to deal with personally. Definitely the sales, the sales side, right? On the, on the marketing side, I mean, it's a bit, you have a, I, I, was, I was, there's this fundamental tension that exists for a reason, which is that sales teams are, are almost by necessity, very short-term focused, right? The month, the quarter, maybe even the year. And marketing teams are, yes, they're responsible for demand generation, but yeah, they're not, I mean, they're not, depends on the company. If there's a PLG product led growth and PQL sort of company, then they're super responsible, but that's more rare. I think that's more the exception than the norm. Um, but yeah, on the marketing side, right. And as I said, there's this sort of fundamental tension that exists for a reason. You're, you're investing in the brand long-term, right? You're softening the beaches for the salespeople on that. That is a not, you know, not this month necessarily or this quarter. It's like this year, next year, and the year after that. So um, I think the sales, I felt as though the sales thing was harder because, you know, when I was ahead of the first head of sales job and I, now I'm, you know, sales strategy means I'm the right hand of the CRO. So it's a lot less stress for me. Um, the, the, when I was actually ahead of sales, I was working in a business that um, was much, was very transactional um, in that first role where I had that. And we had a dashboard that showed sets sales by the minute and we had comps by the minute. So that was super stressful. Wow. Scott, yeah, you would have thrived there, Scott. Like you would have oh, loved that. that. that <laughs> yeah, 15 years ago, I would have loved that. Right. I, I, I love these kind of things that, that drive me absolutely insane. I'm, I'm a masochist yeah. in this particular we had, we had, I mean, just to date the time, and maybe it still exists, but we shipped tons and tons of catalogs. We had a 200-person call center in the Adirondacks in upstate New York that I would go up to regularly. So it was just a very different kind of business than, um, than you, you run into that much of these days. What? what made you want to go from marketing to sales, right? Again, to your point, you know, you were certainly, you had a business mind from your upbringing, right? You apparently liked it, right? You apparently liked making money. You dropped out of the PhD because you wanted to make money, like you're money motivated to some degree. And you go to marketing, what made you want to transition from marketing to sales? Yeah, I'll answer that question. But money motivated, it's like, uh, you know, I, I would say I'm learning motivated when I take those tests, I'm super learning motivated. So I, I've always felt like if I, if I learn, then the money will follow. Right. Um, I also, right. Have every, I have every advantage, right. I, I have a stable ish middle-class upbringing. I'm a six foot five Caucasian male, you know, went, was, had the luxury of going to an Ivy league school. Like I had every luxury. So I, I don't discount all of those things that, you know, I was, I was, were rights of birth. Um, and, uh, so anyway, with that, with that aside, why sales? So I, I moved into this, you know, I was, I was, I have this plus one thing, the way I've managed my career, right. Which, which is the following, I would add a word and drop a word. So I was a semiconductor engineer. I dropped the engineer and added analysts. So semiconductor analyst. And then, um, I, I added, 
uh, sort of product development with the analyst thing as I dropped the semiconductor. So it was, or as I dropped the analyst thing. So I was a semiconductor product development. Um, and then I moved into product management, product marketing. I dropped product in there and was corporate marketing. And then I dropped the corporate thing and I was CMO and then I was CMO plus head of sales. So the, I was always like adding a thing. So in, in this case, it was, you know, I was, I was marketing first at that point and I was handed revenue responsibility. So it became, I guess, what is a, a true CRO. And I fell in love with the sales side. I was not expecting it at all. I was always kind of intimidated before that uh, about sales. And then I found out that, hey, wow, there's this, there's this incredible world of, um, of, of sort of analytical refinement that can be added to sales. And then I dropped the revenue, you know, the, the sort of daily revenue responsibility that I, that I had. And I just moved, not just, but I moved into the sales strategy role, which I've been doing for, I don't know, five, 10 years now. And I, I love it. Like, I don't, I don't want to be anything else until I retire. And then maybe I'll be like a, a high school math and science teacher, but, but I, I'm not, I'm not trying to get, I don't want to get promoted. I don't want to change jobs. Like just keep me, keep me head of sales strategy and I'm in my happy place. <laughs> what for people who might not know or who are envious of this mood that you're now in where everything is perfect and you don't want to want to you got a sales it. role that has no number required yeah has no quota <laughs> yeah 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 what yeah, what like does the, what does the right hand of the cro do yeah uh by the way i'll, I'll say like i am a, i'm a, i'm at the same risk the cro is although i did survive you know one cro turnover um but i'm at mostly the same risk because if if they don't succeed you know if they don't succeed <laughs> there's a very easy finger to point as to like why that's why that's not happening. Um, how did I happen into this role? There's not, a, I mean, there's a few of us out there, right? You know, you know, a few of us out there who. who but what, but what does of, the role actually do? I, I, I would venture that not that many people know what the day-to-day -day looks like of an SVP of sales strategy. Yeah. And as you called it, the right hand of the CRO. Yeah. So there's, there's the role? oftentimes like we have another quote unquote day job. So for instance, my other part of, and I'll talk about the sales strategy thing, but the other part of my day job was like running sales development uh, or I started up the sales engineering team. At one point I ran sales ops. Um, so you often have sort of that, those other pieces. What, what sales strategy is, is think about, right. CROs are responsible for whatever the month, the quarter, whatever the six months, whatever your sales cycle is. And they don't have the time necessarily to like re-architect territory strategy or re-architect compensation plans or re-architect account prioritization or you like whatever it is, things that are things that are retooling the infrastructure of the way the sales organization operates, roles and responsibilities, career paths, like all those types of things, sales methodologies, sales processes. Right. Those are things that it's not a great use of the CRO's time necessarily to work on on building that the skeleton out. So that's that's the job. Right. Is it's it's a consulting job. It's basically an internal consulting job where you're focused on the people, process and technology that will improve sales productivity. Scott, how did you do you see that, Scott, as, you know, like JM, right? Like, is that kind of what JM would do or now that you hear that? Um, oh, that's what I could have, that would have been like the next level. 
actually what the first thing I thought of is um, that's what I do now in my job just for a half dozen to a dozen companies at once rather than internally for one large organization. Finally, finally Scott tells me what he does. He's never been able to articulate (laughs) it well. Technically, Jeremy told you what I do. I know, and it's a shame you can never tell me. So finally, we have an answer. But I'm with you. you. Like I I do think that this could be like a fractional job sometimes, right? That that one could do this one could do this for a number of companies. And, and I guess that's what you're, you know, like, that's what you're doing. You're a fractional head of sales strategy for six companies. And I think that's definitely is a doable thing. I want to, I want to ask you a tactical thing. Cause I hear this all the time. Um, if you're going to revamp territories, right. How do you, like, where do you even start? Like, that's something I've never had to do. I think it's not something it's written about, right. Unless you've written about it somewhere. Right, like it would be a great, it would be a great ebook for sure. It, it's de- it, my take is it's definitely not written about. There is no like codified universal way do it like this. So I'm very curious in this because I've had to do it a few times. Yeah, I, I, and I, you know, I read a book a week at least, um, and plenty of those are sales books. And I, I, yeah, I can say I don't really think that there's anything out there. I mean, the closest stuff maybe is on sales strategy is probably uh, the stuff that the Alexander group puts out on compensation. So yeah, there's not really anything. So I have this flow chart that basically is a whole series of decisions. I guess I should put this in an ebook or just put it out there somewhere, which says like, are you inside sales or outside sales? Does the, you know, does, is the motion different by industry? Is the motion different by geography? Is the motion different by this, that, or the other thing? But it's, it's like, what is the context that you are selling into? And then based on that, right, you decide, um, you know, what is territory? Like territory can be size, territory can be geo, territory can be industry, territory can be whatever, right? Product related. So you have all these different dimensions, but let's assume you got that context. I think that maybe the deeper question you're asking is, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to move in, this is another piece, right? Which is, are you an assigned account or are you like a open, you know, within a particular uh, whatever geo size industry combination. But I, I think part of the root of the question you're asking, and I think this is the hardest thing is let's say you're are in an account, assigned account world and you decide to shift the accounts of AEs. That's a big deal. Like that is, that is a destroy. If you get it wrong, you destroy yeah. the company's growth um, kind of thing. I think that's the riskiest thing I do, frankly. Like I think you can monkey around with compensation and whatever, it's not really going to make a huge difference. But if you mess up territories, you're gonna you're gonna um, truly affect the livelihoods of of individuals as well as the company. So so for me, the way I do it is, um, and this is sort of the technical thing, is that I, I actually created an uh, I mean algorithm sounds like a fancy thing, but I wrote some code that builds equal potential. T- First, it scores accounts by by potential, and then it distributes those accounts to build equal potential territories subject to like whatever geo size industry constraints. So it truly builds out. Do you there. end up? Do you end up with a? Do you end up with a map that looks like you know, gerrymandering of territories? Um, like, it it can. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. Free? I mean, not because I don't like I. I it, it it. I wouldn't do that with physical territory, right? Because you got to if people are truly traveling, you got to be careful with travel distance. But I think from a industry size, whatever geo thing, when you're doing that, yes, it does look like gerrymandering for sure. If you were to be able to visualize that. 
So I, well, here's what I've heard. There's an amazing book. There's a new SaaS platform that Jeremy needs to develop that no. everybody would, you know, buy this algorithm for, right? Like Jeremy, you, you know, not that Kyle's going to listen to this, you know, and tell you to quit, but you know. It's unfortunate that Jeremy just wants to stay in his current seat forever because right. he doesn't need a title. He doesn't want to go be yeah, a founder. Already, we've already created a couple projects for you. Right. I, I may be super, I mean, I may be super naive about this, but a lot of the stuff I built um, is infrequent use stuff, right? Like territory assignment. Yes, we have an insane algorithm for account scoring and an insane algorithm for account assignment, but it's hard to sell because people only use it once a year, you know, or twice a year. Fair enough. That's the, yeah, that's but, the, the, but there's something there, dude. Like there's something, th this is the infrastructure behind the infrastructure, right? Yeah. Like this is, this is the pieces that make up the chip that Intel builds or Apple builds, right? Like, you, you know, you become the Foxconn of the sales operations yeah. world, right? Um, so I, I do have, um, uh, shoot, I forgot what it was. Go ahead, Scott, go for it. Oh, while you're doing that, though, I was going to add. Like, at least I'm not on mute. There you go. No, no. I go <laughs> while you're doing that, I was going to add. There is a bunch of stuff we built out. I mean, and I, I do wish stuff existed. Like I would have bought a territory platform if it existed. Um, I would have bought an account scoring platform if it, if what I was looking for existed. Yeah. And there is stuff out there, but it, it's like it misses key parts that are really, really important. Um, and did it with forecasting. Like we wanted to do something a little next generation with forecasting. So we build our own forecasting algorithm. So that's what I mean. Like there's yeah. this whole thing of territory and forecasting. There's this whole thing you guys, I know what my question was actually. Um, did you guys adjust territories because of COVID at we, all? No, we didn't. Um, we adjusted capacity because we got spooked um, as, as I think was reasonable to do. It's funny. I think it depends on when people's quarters ended like if you were on a traditional quarter, then you did one thing if, and we were one, you know, we're on the sales force kind of quarter schedule. So, you know, we did another thing, but we got a bit spooked, um, reduced capacity a, a little bit. And then in some ways regretted that because we, I mean, not only do we have to let go of good people, but we immediately started hiring back because we didn't experience, um, you know, the hiccup. I mean, if anything, everyone sent their sellers home and they needed accountability Right. And to be able to make sure people, people were, especially the yeah. field sellers were, you know, were, were taking action. So no, we didn't make an adjustment. We we've stuck with uh, our schedule, which is in our enterprise business, we redo territory once a year on February 1st. And then in our um, SMB world, we redo territory twice. We do it February 1st and August 1st. So every six months. That's really interesting. I've never heard of somebody redoing territories one or two times a year like that within a regular cadence yeah, i've heard of yeah. it in a react a reactionary type way um but not so much proactive that's really interesting really what's the advantage more... there what do, what do you guys see and, and yeah, then my so... second question to that is does the sales team get annoyed um yeah good good set of questions the the first thing is one of the reasons we do it is fresh eyes. It's, it's like, I learned this from one of our, uh, one of our, he was an SDR, he was an SDR leader. And when I was running sales development, he was working for me, a guy named Colin Waldrop. And he said, fresh eyes. And I said, no, it shouldn't matter. Like it's the same accounts. Why does it matter? He said, trust me. 
and he was he was spot on. So I think just getting a fresh set of eyes on the accounts. So what did you you know without giving away like yeah. what kind of things did you notice because it was a fresh set of eyes to do it? It's just accounts that had been you know quote unquote DQ'd for whatever reason by the previous salesperson look attractive to the next salesperson. Mm-hmm. And in truth, right, the companies have changed. Some have grown. Some have you know added Microsoft Dynamics or Salesforce or whatever, right? Like just things change. So with that fresh set of eyes, people are much more willing to, uh, to engage the accounts. And then uh, to your, answer your second question about salespeople, yeah, when we first started doing it a few years back, they were terrified, you know, and, and um, we, we really, we went through a sort of pilot rounds of here's what your accounts are going to look like. Here's how the algorithm is working until they sort of felt comfortable. And then our, our then CRO, I think, had kind of the master, master stroke insight, which is this concept of a holdback. So we let every rep hold back, not a ton of accounts, five to 10 accounts that this basically yeah. is in their territory. They're like, these accounts won't move no matter what. And if you allow them to hold back five or 10 accounts, that solves, you know, that was my next, the I was going to ask I'm if a, you allowed hold, I call them holdovers, but yeah, yeah. like, like, what do you, and then did you say, okay, you get these holdovers for 60 days, 90 days, forever? Like, how did you guys handle it? No, if you have a, if you have a holdover, you get to keep it. If again, in SMB, you get to keep it at least for six months and you can reclaim it as a holdover six months later or an enterprise, you can keep it for a year. But otherwise, uh, yeah, otherwise every, everything else is subject to moving. We do have some other rules, for example, and we don't, we don't, we intentionally, because AEs will game the system. Like we have some other rules that say, if there's a, if, you know, if there's open ops, of a certain type um, and and age on the account, then you get to keep it. If there is sufficient activity of a certain type and volume, then you get to keep it. But we don't we keep that um, you know that sort of a heavily guarded secret in the vault so that they so that they don't spend their time gaming the system. Got it. Cool, Scott. What else you got? Wanna, yeah, Richard, I have a question for you, and then it comes back to Jeremy. When you think of the phrase, hey, salespeople, what do you think of, Richard? Jeremy Donovan and his podcast, you know, the, that's the right answer. Oh, you want the real answer. Um, oh, that, 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 that's where I was, I was going. Jeremy's strategy. I don't go ahead and try to take a look right now, Richard. If you look at Jeremy's LinkedIn posts, almost every single one of them starts off with, hey, salespeople. I, I want to know from Jeremy, like, when did that start and how did you decide to stick with that, you know, in, intro or, or, or I don't it's even know what brand. you call it. It is his brand. I know. So how did you, how did you land on that as like Jeremy's brand, Jeremy's thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I used to be really torn about whether I would post on LinkedIn. Well, first of all, I was super late to LinkedIn. I'll start by saying that. So for, and, and ditto the clubhouse thing. I'm not on clubhouse yet. I, I don't even have an iPhone. So I guess I couldn't, I can, ex- I could use that as an excuse, but I'm very late to all social media things. So I was kind of late to LinkedIn and I, I was very tortured about whether I would post stuff to a blog or to, um, to LinkedIn. And I, I finally came to the following uh, decision and it was, it was, it was assisted the decision. I'll tell you about the assistance piece, but all long form content I post to a blog at sellingsherpa.com. And that blog is really more for me than for anyone else. I mean, it gets some traffic, but it's, I, I don't try to actually drive any traffic there. Um, 
And it's mostly me reading books and summarizing books. And then every once in a while I'll do a survey. So I'll post the survey findings there. So all the long form stuff is there. And then on LinkedIn, I do all the short form stuff. So if it's in a post, I put it in a post. If it's going to be an article, I do it on, on, uh, on the blog. And uh, why hate salespeople? So there's two reasons. The first is I do a ton of uh, my own data science. We also have a data science team. And I found out that if you use hey, and then the person's first name, as opposed to hi, hello, not using anything, then that at the time, and it decreases over time, but that at the time had a much higher response rate. So I thought, hey, I had just discovered that. I probably say hey a lot anyway, although it's hard to remember now one way or the other. And so I just did hey salespeople. So that was where that came from. But then the idea of what I do is um, I, 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 I try to post every day, but I won't unless the following is true, that I have a, a, either a, a quote from a book I believe in or a actionable sales statistic from a study that I've done or a study that Sales Loft has done or a study, frankly, that anyone has done, even competitors, like if they've got good data, I post it. And it's got to be like one or two sentences, always with source attribution, sample sizes, and so on. And um, I have this whole, I, don't, I wrote, it, wrote it down somewhere. I don't know if I ever published it or not, but I have this manifesto of what I will and will not do. And those are, those are some of the things. And then in my, in my not do is um, I won't post anything that's not related to sales period ever, no matter what. Uh, I'm sure I violated that. I almost violated it yesterday. And I said, nope, does not fit the manifesto. <laughs> And, um, and I, I won't post on topics, this is sort of related, but, um, I won't post on topics like leadership, even though I care about leadership, it's just not sales. Yeah. But why, why limit yourself? I, I, like Scott and I are sitting here grinning as we watch you, like, but people need to know about leadership and you clearly have a really unique perspective. You have a thought. I'm wrestling, with the I'm wrestling with the statement. Leadership is not sales. Right. Well, sales leadership is sales. And I do post on sales leadership, but uh, I don't post on kind of general management leadership. I, you know, I geek out on that stuff too. Absolutely. And I read a ton of, of like non sales related business books yet. I don't post on that stuff. Um, partly is because, I mean, most of the stuff I do for me, um, but partly it's because I want people to, to feel as though if they see something I post that it, it is of a, it, it is predictably high quality and predictably on point that I don't drift. Yeah, but isn't yeah, so that, that is a brand, I guess, right? That, 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 that is the brand. And there's some people who, who believe in that. I, I know there's one person I think of in particular, who's always preaching, like, stay in your lane, basically talk only about this one niche and never deviate. And I, I remember a couple of years ago, um, somebody kind of critiquing me and saying, man, you post all over the place about all this different kind of stuff. So I don't know what I'm going to get. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want you to know what you're going to get from me. I don't want to be predictable. So there's no one right way. I just find it, I just find it fascinating that um, your strategy has evolved this particular way. I'll ask you this because you said, um, you know, you're late to the game on LinkedIn and all these different platforms and whatnot. Do people need to proactively 
create, work on, and own their own brand, regardless of role these days? I think it is super role dependent. Um, I forgot which book it was, but um, there's this one author who's pretty, uh, sales author, good, great sales author, who's pretty adamant that SDRs, you know, salespeople should not build LinkedIn kind of brands um, because that's not a good use of their time, right? Like the reason, maybe it was Jason Jordan or someone like that, I can't recall, but um, um, because they're much better off using their time selling than filming videos and brand building and whatever. Um, I, I tend to, in some ways, I tend to agree with that. I mean, uh, I guess if you're going to build a brand, if let's say you're selling to, I don't know, CFOs or something into finance and you're a salesperson, if you're staying in your lane of like legit finance advice, I guess go for it. But I, no, I don't think everyone needs to do it. it it's uh, frankly, it's pretty exhausting. I, I, the last three weeks, I don't know when this podcast will air, but uh, the last three weeks I've been, and I go into these modes where I, I'm actually not posting very often. And there, and those times, what you can bet is at the end of those three or four week cycles, like something in my, you know, big in my world is coming. So the thing I've actually been working on in the last three weeks is uh, we built a quarterly business review generator for our SDR team. So they, sorry, not actually our CSMs, our customer success managers. So literally they just put in an account ID and then out pops a QBR slide deck with, you know, automatically everything that they need. Um, so, you know, we saved the, first, they would spend hours on those QBR decks. So that's like internal auto magic, but, or, or externally, right. I went into a hole and came out of that hole with emailgrader.com and subjectlinegrader.com and uh, stuff like that. So I, I will disappear into a hole periodically for very, very deeply focused work and then come out of it with something that hopefully has an impact. That's I, I want all those things. Like I, I have clients who'd be like, yep, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. It's like, it's almost like a SaaS buffet platform, right? You just pay by whatever you pick up off the buffet this week. Right? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like iTunes back. for, you know, Oh, yeah, you want to, you want of, to use the subject line thing this week? That's 99 cents. <laughs> you want to use the, the territory thing? That's 4.99, you know, like, but, but back to the brand building thing, like it's exhausting, right? Uh, um, you guys know, I mean, it's exhausting to keep up with this, with this stuff. I don't find it exhausting. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't, find it I don't, time I consuming. It's not necessarily exhausting for me. Um, I have moments, well, I've gotten better at like, okay, just if I don't, if I can't get to something today, don't post it. Like I'm getting better about that where I used to sort of post all the time and Scott would get on me. Um, but I also I, think salespeople well, yeah, but do need to do it. Richard is out here posting at like 9 p.m. and shit. It's like, That's you, not you, know, true. you should know better, know better than that by now. But I, I find it exhausting actually to continuously feel like I have to create something new and unique and, val and valuable. And if I don't, I'm going to disappear into oblivion. That, that I find exhausting. And so I, I've actually said to, I can't remember who, maybe it was to Richard. I've actually said before, you'll know that I've made it when I quit LinkedIn. <laughs> when I can quit dealing with that and dealing with putting content out there, um, then you'll know I've made it and I'm more or less retired. So I, I'm, I'm with Jeremy. Especially if, if you have a post that like lights on fire 
and, and you get, you know, thousands of notifications, like I won't post for days after that because it takes me days to clean everything up after I've had something like that. So it's drifting a little bit. Um, but I almost wish, like, I, I really don't want to care, right? I almost, I don't want to care how many likes and views and blah, blah, blah there is because I really do think I post for me. Um, and, and, and it's because my memory is not great. So I have a, I was, I joke that I have a, I have a good CPU, but I have like terrible, terrible hard disk drive. So for me, I, I do the, the, like the posting and the blogging so I can actually go back and, and look back at, oh my God, okay, that's what I was researching. And, and this is what I found. Or if I like or share something, it's because I thought this is a killer piece of content and I want to be able to go back and refer to it. So do, so you think that SDRs and salespeople shouldn't be focusing on their, maybe not necessarily a full brand, but on LinkedIn that much? Or you like, no, I they really can, don't. but not so in a different Look, way. I'm a date, I'm right. I'm super data driven, right? So um, I, I've done a lot of studies on, on hiring, for example, what biographical data matters about whether or not someone's going to be successful. The other thing I've done is I've interviewed, I, I, I'll go and I'll ask people whenever I'm talking to, you know, anyone, I'll say, who's the best salesperson in your company? And, and I ask that routinely. I keep a, I, I keep a Google sheet called best AEs. And I've got this long list of the best AEs and I go and talk to those people and I try to figure out what they do. And I can tell you, here's what they do. They are absolutely maniacally focused um, on, on, you know, on the job. They know the next step for every customer in their account. Um, uh, they are able to nudge, I guess that's the challenger sale kind of concept, which is less about challenging, you know, less about bringing necessarily a new idea. Of course they do, but it's more about, okay, if this, if this customer is, is stuck because they're psychologically stuck on the deal, they know how to nudge people forward. But in talking to these, I'm trying to think of a single example of, of the number one AE in the company. I'm trying to think of a single example where that person was a, a quote unquote LinkedIn influencer, thought leader, what have you. They just say no. In fact, I reached out to yesterday. I, I had asked someone um, uh, who was top AE. I invited them to from a company, and I invited them to the to the podcast. And they're like, "Nope, I'm I, I don't I'm not going to make any, you know." She was not going to make yeah, any but- more money going on the podcast. So she's like, "Nope, not going to do it." Yeah, see, I, I mean, I, we could argue about this for hours on end. I fundamentally disagree with it. I think a lot of it has to do with somebody's temperament and their desire to be an employee for the rest of their lives or to eventually cross over and become an employer and work for themselves and, and harness that entrepreneurial spirit. Because that person who said that to you is so correct if all they want to do is sit in a chair and make phone calls and make other people millions of dollars while they get nice startup t-shirts. If they want to do more than that, then they're killing themselves by not actively building their brand and, and starting that process of increasing the size of their network, putting their thoughts out there in whatever, whatever forum makes sense um, and figuring out new and creative ways to monetize it. So I think a lot of it is temperament is what does somebody want to do with themselves and, and their lives? I don't know that there's, you have to do it or you don't have to do it. it. I think it depends on what you want to do. I'm with you. I mean, I would say that you're like in some of the language you used to use, you're applying some of your own 
subconscious bias to what is good from a value perspective and not good from a value perspective. Right. And what I mean by that is um, we as a society have, be, have, have, have begun to say that like the entre- that an, someone who follows an entrepreneurial path is is somehow a better path. Like if they're a successful entrepreneur, that's a better path than than like leading leading a life as an individual, even as an individual contributor, right? For the long term within a company. But like I'll 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 take yes, my because, thought. because I think but because I think we associate the locus of control over your life and the freedom and flexibility part with with working for yourself yeah, as opposed but, to somebody. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an anecdotal example. So I'm going to, as much as I'm a statistician, I'm going to go the opposite direction here, which is sometimes the, like the one, the, the one trumps the example of the many. So my, my father-in-law um, was a uh, he's retired now. So the was is not past tense on the planet, but uh, so the, he was a uh, mechanical engineer and he designed cooling systems for power plants, conventional and nuclear uh, power plants. And they offered him promotion after promotion after promotion. And I'm sure he could have gone out as an independent consultant anytime he wanted to. And he said, no, 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 no. And like, he's one of my role models for someone who has lived a contented life. Right. And over the course of, uh, you know, 40 years and he loved, you know, he loved going into work. He loved what he was doing. Um, he knew what he wanted. He was able to, you know, save and provide for his, his child. And, um, uh, you know, he's, he's one of the most content people I know. And I think he, so it depends on what your goals are, right? So he had achieved those goals with, with one path. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I've, I've thought off and on about, about starting a company, but at this point, again, like I, 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 I like being the right hand of someone else. Yes. It's a weird thing, but I, I like to do that. And then, then when I retire, isn't I'll, that, I'll become but, a teacher. But isn't that what I that's said? exactly what Scott said. Like if someone wants to be an individual contributor and focus on that and just be that, you know, I think, you know, maybe you got turned off by the startup t-shirt collector, but <laughs> um, you know, then that's, then that's good. Right. But salespeople are often ambitious, not always. They're definitely people who like to be, you know, look, they do, they want to carry a bag. My dad was this, he, he owned an insurance company, co-owned it and sold his half because he just didn't want to deal with the management side of stuff. There are plenty yeah. of salespeople that way that I think are awesome. And I love that, you know, and, and to that person's point, yeah, then they, maybe they don't need to be on LinkedIn. I can support that argument. The right? two best salespeople at sales loft, um, like year after, I mean, they're, that varies, right. But year after year after year number one and number two, they alternate places. Neither of them have a LinkedIn presence at all. Um, and neither of them have any interest whatsoever in becoming a sales manager because they're going to make five times what they make, you know, being, being in hyper accelerators than they would as in, in management. That's great. Like, I, I don't, you know, again, that, and they'll always be able to get a job for that reason. Yep. Right. That's different than those who have different levels of ambition. Right. You know, look, it's, at some yeah. point, you know, and, and we can talk about this, although we're running out of time is, you know, like you guys are going IPO soon. Right. Like you can talk about it. Right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I can't talk about it. No, you can't talk about it. <laughs> if I don't even know if you are. Then but, I'm not um, going to have my job if I do that. Right. Then, you know, those top two reps, you know, they may decide to stay. They may decide to go. Right. 
again, depending on what their status is, they, you know, may be able to retire, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation because I, I think people should be doing it more often. And that is a reason I would support them not doing it. Hmm. Yeah. I, it's- I, I've, heard, I've heard that argument before too, this like, oh, cause that person's going to make five X more. Yep. For how long? And this is the conversation that I had with my friend who was making five X more than me, who said to me, you're an idiot for going into sales management and not staying as an individual contributor. I said, well, my path, I'm not going to be a sales manager forever. My path is going to go like this. I'm going to be a director. I'm going to be a VP. I'm going to be an SVP. I'm going to go to early companies. I'm going to get equity and I'm going to get a single and then I'm going to get a double. And if I get one home run, my income and net worth will generationally change the game and squash your $500,000, $600,000 salary. So again, yeah. it goes back to like, what does somebody want to do? If you want to just be an individual contributor like that, I don't know that you need to work on your brand. If you want to be entrepreneurial, go this kind of leadership route, maybe maybe you do. So Richard's point, yeah, there, depends there's, what you're- There's no one right or wrong. I'm with you. There's no one right or wrong answer. I had this great mentor have- I keep using past tense. Uh, it's because I'm getting I'm getting long in the tooth, I guess. But uh, his name is Kevin Volpe, and he gave me this framework, which he admittedly ripped off from someone else. And a lot of the the like leadership gurus have stuff like this. It's basically there's seven that there's no one dimension of success, right? It's not just about financial success. There's seven dimensions of success: it's career, family, um, financial, intellectual, social, spiritual, and then health. Physical, uh, physical and mental health. Um, and, and like life is about going in and out, it, literally in and out of success on those seven dimensions. It, it's very, very rare that all seven are aligned at one time. And, you know, people sort of, it's not a balance. It's like people are optimizing in different areas. Like that some people might care more about spiritual and some people might care less. Yeah. Some people might care more about social. Some people might care less. So I mean, I think that's a function, right? Is if you are um, like, and there's, there's, and there's nothing wrong, right? Especially in sales, right? If you're incredibly driven to, um, to build financial foundation, I'm with you. Like, yeah, in the long term, you're better off being a CRO. You're better off probably ultimately trying to take some at bats at uh, high growth venture back startups and so on. Um, and some, you know, but not everyone has to. My, my point is like, I'm trying to liberate people that if they don't feel that way, then it's okay. That, that's, yes. that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give them um, psychological comfort that just because their path is not the, the path that is celebrated in the press doesn't make their path the wrong path. Fully support that. Totally agree. So I was waiting for Scott to agree first. <laughs> I do agree with that. No. I don't think uh, you're saying anything Lost you there, Scott. What was the last thing you said? I don't think I don't think we're uh, in disagreement. Actually, no. I think we're all we're sort of saying the same thing, just in different ways. I, yeah. I'm making like a fake Twitter war. <laughs> <laughs> you, you 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 should have talked to Scott years ago. He actually had a site called Twitter Wars, and uh, was going to have people battle it out. Yeah. So uh, that was one of his his uh, I, which I thought was genius. It just didn't work. So. Uh, anyway we we got to the end my man this has been fascinating so um 
Again, Jeremy, thanks for joining us and, and sharing a ridiculous amount of insights and all these little things that matter uh, that add up to big things. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, shout out, obviously, to our sponsors of Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Lead411 and Gong.io. And, and you know, sort of our last question, Jeremy, is always, you know, what can we do for you? What questions do you have for us? Uh, this is a blast, by the way, and we scratched the surface on things. So I almost wish we had more time to dig deeper. But my, I'll turn the question around for you that you you kind of hit for me, which was, hey, Jeremy, you should go start like this RevOps tech company. If you guys weren't doing what you're doing, if a VC gave you a big pile of money, what would you, what what sales or revenue tech company would you start? I'm not allowed to mention it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Did you sign an NDA? <laughs> uh, um what kind would, would I solve? I would, Honestly, I, go, go ahead, ahead Richard. No, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, I think I, I wouldn't be so, um, I don't know the right word. <clears throat> I'm not so arrogant as to know exactly what the market needs right now or enough of, of a prognosticator. I think what I would do is I'd go to Kyle and I'd go to Manny and I'd go to Amit and I'd go to all these folks who are building these amazing sales technology platforms. And I'd say, what's like in your product queue that you're not gonna get the next couple of years? What, what do you need? What would you wish was in your suite of products? And then, you know, I'd Venn diagram it and whatever would hit right in the middle, I think I'd go build that. That's assuming they would do it. So I would do that in a different way. I would create, I'd find the Jeremy's of the world and I try to create, for lack of a better phrase, an incubator space where you bring in the people who are smarter than you to say, hey, I've got this idea. And there's, you know, KD, I know, has an idea that he's working on. And I know someone else has an idea and say, OK, look, we can now fund these things in a way where it's almost, you know, it's almost like an internal VC, but it's an incubator, too. Right, where you bring right. in the you smart people. Google Ventures, Richard. You're gonna yeah. shit on my idea. You just created Google Ventures. I'm shitting yeah. on your idea now. That's fine. Call it whatever you want. I don't care. So, um, but I, but what? There can't be more than one of them. Like you know, like to your point, everybody can't get Google Ventures. Can't get to everything, right? That's what you just said. Right. So that's what I would try to do because I don't think I'm. I'm not in the weeds enough to know the answer to that question, right? I've been consulting for eight or nine years. And so for me, I could look at a couple of things around training and trying to improve those things and stuff like that. But I also know my wheelhouse is not that creator, right? Like Scott knows this about me. Scott, I'm much more like the executioner, go get these things done. I check shit off the list. Scott's the strategy guy, right? And um, so that's how I would do it. I would, so, you know. So whose advice are you going to take, Jeremy? I, I think, uh, right. I mean, I think they're both, they're both great ideas. I mean, the other one is, is like, uh, sometimes I'll ask people this question and there's so many, that there's so much that's been built. The next play might be just, if uh, truly unlimited money is just put, put a whole bunch of companies together, you know, like Zoom Info plus Sales Loft plus Clary plus oh, Gong man. plus whatever, you know, like just put all this, roll all this stuff together. It's time. Yeah. It's sort of a consolidate. I mean, that's what Salesforce tries to do, right? They, they do it at a, at a super high level. So, um, you know, but I, that's kind of what I think, right. It's, yeah. you know, Scott, you've even had this idea. Way, put them in there. 
you've had a similar idea to mine. What did you call it? What did you call it? You were going to get everybody to. I can't remember now, Richard. That was probably, I was probably all of my best ideas come after <laughs> I've had two or three years. Yeah. And then they're uh, gone. Um, God, what did you call it? Not a cohort, but like, um, I don't know, some mafioso name or something like that. I don't know. So. <laughs> Syndicate. <laughs> Jeremy, anyway. so, Jeremy, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it. And, and um, you know, a massively fun conversation that flew by. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Cheers.